The one thing that I have learned from my almost 10 years in the fashion industry is that starting a fashion brand is not about having a lot of money, connections, or years of experience and skills in design or business. It's about understanding the fundamental principles of starting fashion brands and consistently executing, prioritizing, and focusing on those principles. It sounds simple, but for some reason, fashion schools fail to teach this. Because of this, I decided to start a fashion brand startup consulting group so that you can finally learn how to start a fashion brand in six months with a low budget, no social connections, and no designer business skills. For just $97 per month, you will have access to a private coaching group that includes the following. Firstly, a step-by-step video training guide on how to start your fashion brand in six months with clear, concise, and easy-to-follow steps. Secondly, you will also get 24 hours a day, seven days a week access to personalized coaching and feedback from me personally. And thirdly, weekly video coaching calls so that you can learn and network not only with myself, but with other fellow fashion entrepreneurs. As you guys know, this podcast is completely self-funded, so all of the money made will be used to create better and more content. If you want to join the Fashion Brand Startup Consulting Group for just $97 per month, the link will be in the description of this episode. I really look forward to getting to know you, what you are working on, and what you want to create. Now, let's continue with the episode. Building the fashion businesses of the future together. Welcome to the future of fashion business. The future of fashion business is about helping aspiring fashion entrepreneurs and designers start their own successful fashion brands by learning from the best, most experienced people in the industry. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of The Future of Fashion Business. I am your host, Esteban Julian, and on this week's episode, I sat down with fashion designer and entrepreneur, Terrence Joe. Now, Terrence uh, has had a very, very interesting background as a designer and entrepreneur. And the reason why I say that is, number one, again, most important thing before you start the episodes is always look at people's work before you actually start listening to the episode. The work to uh, Terrence's brand and Terrence's work is going to be into the, in the description so you can really appreciate uh, the, the the lessons and the work of every single guest. Now, and I found that every single incredible designer, every single inc- incredible creative always has something different to themselves. That could usually be a, a weird quirk. Sometimes it's a talent. Sometimes it's a very unique viewpoint on uh, philosophical ideas or political ideas, or uh, sometimes it's their story, their culture. And in terms of this case, it, w- it was a lot of different things uh, because it's, 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 it's very rare to find people that have such a unique creative vision for their work at such an early stage in their business development process. And Terrence was that case. And in Terrence's case, what I found extremely, extremely interesting is that you get not only somebody that is just very, very creatively uh, talented and, and, and able and capable, but also somebody that comes from an engineering and mathematical background, uh, which is something, it's a contrast that you don't get to see very, very often in the, in the design space. You don't often get to see highly, highly creative people that have a very rational and pragmatical uh, discipline or, or, or formation or, or, or educational background. Uh, like Terrence. Again, I found it very, very interesting how somebody could create so something so creative yet have such a rational and formal approach to you know his decision-making process and his business development processes. And I think that contrast 
is something that a lot of people can learn a lot from. And Terrence's, what makes Terrence unique was also not that he had those two very different uh, disciplines and, 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 and mental models for, for decision-making, whether it be in, in, when it comes to his creative process or, or business processes, but also that he uh, comes from China. He was born and raised in China, came to the U.S., and that cultural difference and that cultural background also has had a very big uh, effect into not only his personal decision-making process, who he is as a person, but also how all of that reflects into the quality of his design and his work. So incredible episode on, again, being able to design when you have multiple con- contrasting multi- uh, mental models or backgrounds and also how being different culturally and how coming to a new country can also influence not only who you are as a person, but also uh, what your work represents and what you're trying to communicate. So that said, incredible episode. Uh, so let's get to it. Thank you for being in the future of fashion business. It's going to be awesome to have you on. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. It's a pleasure. I'm a big fan of your work. I'm a big fan of your dresses. Uh, Obviously, that was one of the biggest reasons why I wanted to have you on here. We'll get the chance to talk a lot about that. But um, thanks for being here again. Really, really appreciate it. I'm very excited. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so just uh, to start off the episode, Terrence, uh, Mm -hmm. can you tell us, and this is probably something that a lot of people are going to be very, very curious about. But can you tell us a little bit more about who you are? What's your story? How did you how did you get started in fashion in the first place? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So my name is Terrence and I came to the U.S. when I was 17 um, to actually pursue the degree of mathematics and engineering. Um, I went to a liberal college in Indiana first. Um, That was an engineering program um, like two years in Indiana and two years in a school in New York for engineering. So uh, we get both degrees under our belt, um, both engineering and mathematics. But then after a second year, um, I don't know if your audience is mostly from the United States. This, the second year is very important, especially if you want to transfer to other college or want to change your major. As the more courses that you're taking on, um, the last chance that you will, you know, like, do you know what I mean? Like you will switch to another major. So a second year after my first internship in a bioengineering company, um, I realized that I didn't really like the future life because when I see actually see my boss, what my boss was doing, I didn't like it. You're like, hell no. Nah. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> and then um, I feel that like what they're doing is very interesting. But what I also think that my talents are not just for mathematics and engineering. I love mathematics. I do extremely well. Um, the reason why, because I, um, in, 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 in our say like, Sometimes after I'm off work, I would draw and paint and do everything artistic. I'm also a dancer, like a Latin ballroom dancer since I was a kid. So um, I'm wondering like, if I use my free time to do all this art stuff and those stuff are not required by the work or by you know, or my academic life, then I'm thinking maybe this is the calling. Maybe this is something that I recognize this passion, right? So, and none of my families they're doing anything related to art or design. So this is something like very important to me. So, and I make a big decision that I wanted to transfer to Parsons. And- um, Wow. Yeah, so I didn't, I was not trained uh, in drawing or painting professionally. So that's why my parents are kind of worried about me because they thought that if you wanna get in a top design or art school, you have to be trained or have to take in certain classes. But then for me, I just audited um, because we also had studio classes, uh, art studio classes in back in my liberal arts college. So 
I audited without taking any credits. I audited those classes um, in, in my free time um, to just like to practice and kind of like figure my way out to finish my portfolio in the meantime while I was doing mathematics. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of this history. So um, then I transferred to Parsons and then, you know, did ex- a year exchange at Central St. Martin's in London and then came back to Parsons to finish my study. So yeah, that's like, and then I started my brand and everything. That's how you discover my work on my Instagram or my, on my website. And then that's just the whole journey. No, I love, I love it. And I think, I think your story is going to be very relatable with a lot of people. Cause I mean, a lot of people don't know that they want to do fashion or anything creative until quite late in life. And it takes a lot of courage to make those decisions because how old were you when you finally, when you started in Parsons? I think that was probably, I started at Parsons when I, when I was at my age of 20. 20, right. Yeah. So I remember I transferred to there as like 2015 or something. Yeah. I think it was 2015. Right. So it was, it was late, but it wasn't that late. Like you were, you, you were, you were only a couple of years older than most of the kids you were studying with. No, actually it was not late at all. I, I didn't even think about age at all because right. when I actually got in Parsons, there's someone who's like 30, just attended, you know, like the classes. And remember there's like a, a guy just, um, finish he's like military and something and he's so he was so much older than us and then um yeah so like i didn't realize that age was a thing when i was mm-hmm. in school yeah that's awesome man that's all especially after after being uh because i i think a lot of people that's a transition that a lot of people will find very very difficult you know having this idea of what you're supposed to do and having the interest of something that you actually want to do, but then having something else that you just find way more interesting, or maybe just not, not even way more interesting, but something that you intuitively feel that's just what you were born to do. I think that a lot of people in a similar situation might struggle with that change, you know, especially going into mathematics and engineering, which are in some ways very similar to creativity, uh, but in other ways, completely opposite. You know, so I find it quite, quite, quite admirable, honestly, that you were able to make that transition so quickly and so, so assertively. Uh, and was, was it only based, like, did you make that decision solely based on, Hey, these are my hobbies. Why don't I try this out instead? Or was it something, or was it the, the fact that you were looking again at the quote unquote role models as your boss and you were like that, that life is definitely not for me. Um, first of all, I, I've tr- I definitely tried the internships and, you know, like, um, and then the internship was about like, I was in their product development team for the bio mm-hmm. company, for a bioengineering company. And then we have to read a lot of papers and, you know, like, um, you know, there are a lot of scientific research that we need to um, understand before we actually do actual products. And for those things, and when I, when I realized that, like, I always been told that my mathematics is great, like the greatest good when I was in school, but there's always something that I've like, you know, in math that we always have like algebra and, you know, um, other like areas in mathematics. And always, I'm always interested in shapes and, you know, three dimensional like geometry and the geometry and all that. And then that's definitely like, I love them equally, but then definitely like geometry is my faith. So when I doing all the statistics for the research in a company and I realized that I was not that interested in and like putting the numbers in and plot a graph and see what's gonna happen in five years. And then I, I, I was kind of questioning myself, like, why is that? I, I would rather use the time to draw and paint and then to do something creative. Um, and then 
When I was actually a high school student, Parsons was my first choice. However, I didn't get in. Um, maybe it was because of portfolio. Maybe it was because of like um, I use only, I only used like three days to prepare my portfolio back then. So probably that's part of the reason why I didn't get in. Probably. Um, <laughs> you know, like I, I knew I, I've been told like even like I didn't. I was not trained to be um, like I was not enrolled in any kind of art or design classes when I was a kid. People always told me that I draw really, really well, and then like I paint. I have my own style, and people are sometimes are kind of impressed. Um, so I kind of gained my confidence in that area. Like even I don't like I didn't get enrolled in any classes at all. So mm-hmm. those are my like my safe space that I always come back to. And when it comes to like major, I had like worries and anxiety too because people thought like artists and designers would ended up in the, living in the subway in the future because they they just can't find a job that's gonna pay them enough, right? Um, and then art and design are seen, especially like fashion design or like fine arts, and people seeing them like as like don't have like any like say conceptual fashion design people don't see them as like as you have having as something having utilitarian value yeah like a Um, pragmatic skill Mm -hmm. yeah so i definitely had things i did and everything but you know sometimes like it takes a minute to really like let those emotions sink in and come back to ourselves and really ask ourselves what we want to be money and those things are kind of like a social construct for emotions or something that only belong to us that only like in the higher dimensions that we can recognize and you know we can resonate with. Um, we cannot deny that what makes us feel happy, right? So that's something that's for me, that's the 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 uh relative truth mm-hmm. for me. So um I just follow my heart. I was like, yeah, so because we have to also apply for engineering school in that program, um, which is Columbia University also a very prestigious program. Incredible university, yeah. So I apply both because my grade is like on the top as well. And then we, I re, applied that, I applied for that program as well. And then also for um, Parsons. Um, and then I got in, like I got in um, Parsons and everything. And I just thought, yeah, there's no point of going to Columbia anyways, even like I can get in for sure because my grade is the top um, of our class. And I work extremely hard, even in mathematics and engineering. So um, I told my parents that, hey, I decided to transfer and they absolutely hated it. They're like, oh, you that's what I was going to ask you next. Yeah. It's like, well, what did your parents say? For Asian parents, especially my family. um, I mean, my parents are cool parents. However, they still have some traditional value, especially none of us, um, none of our family doing art and design. So it's kind of like a very dangerous and kind of very unfamiliar zone for them. Right. Mm -hmm. They want us to be doctors, engineers, or lawyers, you know, all these like uh, very, um, yeah, high- traditional, traditional and generic, you know, Asian American son of an immigrant jobs in the United yeah, States. Yeah, right? yeah. But my parents are not immigrants. They are in China. So like, mm-hmm. usually like if you're doing well, of uh, there's a Chinese saying that if you're doing well in mathematics and, you know, um, like physics or, you know, uh, chemistry or whatever, and then yeah. your career will be splendid. You have a mm-hmm. splendid future anyways. Mm-hmm. So they actually didn't like the choice, especially my mom. But my dad, I was trying to convince my dad because he's paying the bill. And then like, I was trying to convince him like, oh, I want to transfer to Parsons. And my dad asked me like, so what does Parsons do? Like, what, what does, tell me more about the school. So I gave him like why I wanted to transfer and my passion. And my dad actually supported it so much. And he's mm-hmm. like, yeah, we, when we grew up in 
and in, in their when they were kids, they didn't have the opportunity to um, choose what they want and then choose what they love. Especially education was a luxury for them. Usually, they in each household back in their time, there are multiple kids in their family, and they usually give the most luxurious educational opportunity to the youngest one, and okay. then the rest of the rest of the kids will you know uh, either not going to school or help the family um, do other things. So they always want to be like choosing what they want to study, but my parents didn't have a chance back then. Um, so my dad absolutely supported my decision, and he said. Oh, just go for it, and you know. And as long as you truly feel like you're resonating with studying art and design, we're all in. So later on, he tries to convince my my mom, and and then yeah, the rest is the history. And I just got in. Yeah, yeah. So it was it was there was there was shock, but at the end of the day, they were supportive about the decision. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Okay. And what about what about the Terrence? Because what about the Terrence before? Parsons, and before finding out that he was going to be an engineer, like who are you? And uh, because I'm very interesting about, I think that a lot of highly, highly creative people, the tend to have their their roots in in their childhood and how they develop, maybe socially, environmentally, and or in in, in, in sense of from from a personal identity. So, who were you in primary school back in China? Like who before everything everything started becoming fancy? Who were you? Like what kind of kid were you in, in in school? That's a very interesting question. I've never come up with a good answer for this question when it comes to like interview because like I think I, I think I'm trying my best to describe who I was. It's mm-hmm. it's very interesting. Definitely, there are a lot of like fun moments when I was a kid.、Um, I think like for me, I always wanted to kind of challenge right school in a way. It's it's very it's very interesting that like when I was a、uh, When I was a kid, and、um, I think that was like primary school. It was like very interesting. So we have to draw the blackboard on the back of our classroom every week. We have to change topic, and we have to draw graphics with the with our chalk and everything. So I was in charge of the art programs in in my class, and there was one time that I was like、um, drawing something. They seen as like、um, how to say like. They don't like it because they they don't think kids should draw that. So basically, it's a lady wearing a cat suit. Yeah. And then、okay. back then I was like fourth grade, and then I didn't know what that is. What that、right. what that I just thought like the curves, like you know, the cat woman has like the curves and everything. I just thought, well, it would be nice to put it on the blackboard because I really liked it. And my my teacher was so mad at me, and then he she's trying she was trying to like. Oh, you should apologize to the whole class because everybody is like, we're we're mad. This shouldn't be like you know, like this shouldn't be appear in the classroom, especially you're only four year for for fourth grade. And I was like, well, I didn't know. And then I realized at that moment that I I never thought I was wrong. Like you know, like I didn't think I was wrong at all. I just thought you know, this is art. This is design. And later on, I was thinking maybe sometimes it's like.、Um, A good way, like doing art and design. Sometimes you you do need to challenge and you do need to listen to your own voice because eventually, like teachers in my mind back then had the power, right? There,、okay. I would look, look up to them. When they challenge you, it's very easy for us, especially when we are kids, like kind of like question our choices and question our decision making. But back then, I didn't even question and doubt myself at all, even though my my teacher was kind of like in a position of questioning me. 
of questioning my intentions and everything. And I, I was really glad that those experiences in my life were always like, kind of like pushing me to the direction that I want. And even people kind of disagree with what I do or what I make. I just thought that was, that was part of the opinions. That was like, you know, their opinions, their judgments, that, that, that doesn't have to do anything with me. Right. So yeah. That, so you were, you were always highly idiosyncratic. You believed in your own ideas with a, with a very firm belief. Yeah. And, and what was wrong about you drawing that on the, on the, on the board? They think it's too, uh, they think it was like pornographic or right. like they think it was not uh, healthy for, for kids to see that for their mental health. Right. Um, but so like, like very feminine, like a very clearly feminine, uh, influenced. Yeah. Uh, drawing it's, it, pretty much. Yeah. It's actually, uh, a, like a cast suit wearing like it's very like a tights like yeah the latex one yeah no i, I yeah. can imagine what it was yeah, yeah. yeah and another incident actually really funny is that um um i just want to share it's kind of like related too so i remember there was one time that we we always have the exam you know in china like every like the education system at least in our age was more like test driven so they don't care about if you come to the class or no if you pass the exam or if you get a really good grade, that, that's everything. So there was one time I got really bored at my Chinese exam. And then I was talking to my desk and I was like, hey, do you want a competition? And she was like, wait, are you crazy? This is in a, this is a Chinese um, exam. And I was like, well, I just thought, you know, the essay part was kind of like boring. So I, I saw there's like a huge blank area. Maybe we can have like a drawing competition. So I started to draw, draw like, a mermaid, a huge mermaid on my, on my essay. And then like my, of course, my deskmate didn't participate. So I, I probably didn't know what I was doing back then. And when they, when my, when my teacher called my parents, they're like, you know what, your kid actually failed the exam because like he actually drew a lot of like weird stuff on the exam paper. And my mom was like, wait, what? And they're like, oh, they, he drew a huge mermaid on the essay part and he get absolutely like a zero point from that section. I think you need to pay attention to your kid. So my mom was absolutely mad. Back then, I didn't know what was happening. I thought I did wrong. And, you know, like, I was like, oh, maybe I shouldn't do that anymore. I still love that mermaid, to be honest. And then I don't know if you noticed that, like, a few months ago, one of my, the mermaid tail that I made, made it to the cover of Vogue, um, Portugal. And when I think about these things, I thought, wow, I can connect the dots when I look back. I understand why at the very beginning I drew that mermaid on the, the most important part of the Chinese exam transfer now to something like so major to a cover. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that nothing has changed. Like when I was a kid, something that I love is absolutely, if I kind of like thought maybe I was wrong, maybe like, you know, like um, I didn't appreciate it or anything, I didn't appreciate my talents. I tried to force myself to become someone that I don't recognize. I don't think the result will be good. But right. over the course of years, no matter if I study art or no, I feel the passion for art and design has never changed. Mm-hmm. This is a self um, that I can recognize. Yeah. Wow. And did you have any struggles with that growing up? Because I, from what I understand, you know, compared to the, uh, the, the Western philosophy of, of, you know, individualism and celebrating the individual and pushing for that, you know, idiosyncratic way of thinking, did you struggle with that in China socially? with maybe the ability to make social relationships, your ability to relate with other people. Cause based on what, again, my limiting understanding, which is very limited, correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
traditionally Chinese culture celebrates the group more than the more than the individual. So any type of you know out of the box thinking, whether it creatively, whether it be intellectually, I don't want to say it's frowned upon because I don't know, but it's not as socially acceptable as it might be here or in Western cultures. I think when I was a kid, definitely that was the case that I was experiencing.、Um, but also, there are a lot of people that they appreciate someone who's doing this because、um, we all have individuality that we want to express, and then we are all humans, and that's the、mm-hmm. need and demand as a human being on Earth. And when someone is having the courage and the confidence to do all of that, I think sometimes people would like to look up as well, and they would they would respect,、um, but. You know, as a kid, especially, I think, especially like later on, I feel that when, like, kind of like when people have to work, they have to behave like in a certain way to work professionally.、Um, like, say, for example, even now, like if I work for for some companies here, I wouldn't go on the stage and draw like a huge mermaid on their meeting room, right? So it has to do with the context as well. But、mm-hmm. when I was in China, actually, there are some teachers that are not accepting who I am, but I'm glad that there are also some teachers that they they found that I was very very interesting, having very interesting personalities from other kids, and you know, and they definitely appreciate、um, my existence in the class. Kind of like sometimes I'm like very humorous and you know, like making jokes and you know, just I was not very serious when I was a kid, but I also work work very hard on my on my academic life, especially、mm-hmm. after middle school. So that's why the teachers sometimes they really appreciate that someone who's working hard at the same time they maintain their personalities. Yeah. So yeah. So I guess like to answer a question, it really depends.、Um, maybe like from stereotypically, it is like most of like Asian cultures are we like celebrating the group. I I think the most virtuous vir- virtual virtuous the most virtuous way to look at it is to find a balance.、Mm-hmm. Like we 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 are individual, but sometimes if you you know take a look at the definition of the individuality, it might not exist without collective, right? right. So always like、um, they're always on they're like dichotomy, like they're always like on different opposite and trying to complement each other. So if if like if there's no like group, then my individuality cannot stand out. If there's you know they're always like complementing each other. That's what I mean. Yeah. yeah. No, I get it. I get it. Wow. And would you say then that you've always been more extroverted than introverted? Um, it really depends. I、uh, I feel that like, um, growing up, people thought I'm extremely extroverted. I like to share my insights. I like um everything. So, um, but then, it, like for me, sometimes I do like my alone time. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's your definition of extroverts and introverts, but like for me, I definitely like a lot of alone time.、Um, while I also sh- like to share a lot of new things with different people around me.、Mm-hmm. So I guess like maybe I'm in the middle. I don't know.、Right. But from, from Maya Briggs, I'm an extrovert <laughs> yeah, <laughs> from yeah. the test. Yeah, yeah, and for people, because I, I want to get to know exactly like where, as you said, you class clown, more extroverted tendencies. Again, extroversion and introversion is more like a spectrum; it's not really binary.、Uh, yeah. So it is possible to be sort of in the middle of how where you're at. But I guess growing up, you were sort of more had more extroverted tendencies in terms of you know being opinionated, showing what you wanted, expressing your ideas,、uh, being outgoing with other people, expressing things, communicating things,、um, yeah. which I find very, very interesting. To be honest with you. Uh, now, Tyrus, what about what about the the when you came to America? 
cultural shocks, differences, lessons, like what was, what's the biggest thing that you remember that was maybe a shock to you when you, when the first time you, 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 you came to the, to the U S maybe it could be a culturally, it could be a, a, a philosophical idea, a, a creative inspiration or creative, or a creative realization. Like what was it for you? Yeah, this is actually a very good question. So the first place that I landed in America is Indiana. So which right. is very different from the coastal cities or states. Um, so I, I went there and I realized that immediately the transition of being Chinese in China as a majority to a minority in Indiana is huge for me. And it has to do with how people treat you. And also English was my second, is my second language. So um, like there are a lot of things that I had the mentality of like, oh, I need to learn. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. even like when people became like extremely condescending to me because I'm Chinese, um, they, I still have the mentality of like, oh, I came here to learn. So, you know, what I can learn from this. But now looking back, um, I think the biggest shock is for me, if I could told myself, if I knew what I know now, mm-hmm. there will be like moments of like a microaggression that I should stand up for myself. Um, there are definitely like a bullying going on. I, I, I only watched about like bullying in, in American culture in the movies. And that was something that I actually experienced when I was in Indiana. Um, and I'm not, I, I didn't like, but back then I didn't like really had like any ideas of like what it is I thought people are making. Yeah, what was happening? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, so like for just give you like a brief example, like there only like, I remember in our class back in Indiana, there was only, there were only like what, like 11 international students in the whole class and the rest of like predominantly like white people, like white students. So we all share, like we share some, like sometimes in a dining hall, we have like a huge round table, like it can, like 10 or 11 people can sit in, in the table to eat, eat lunch or dinner. Sure. And I remember we had like um, like a lunchbox moment. It kind of surprisingly, like lunchbox moment usually refers to kids in school, but then I was in college back then. I still experienced that. Like we had kimchi in a salad bar. So I got a lot of kimchi um, for, for lunch um, because it helps me like, you, you know, kimchi is like great for your health. It helps your digestion and everything. So I thought it was like a great product. I was like, oh my God, like, Finally, I could see some Asian food in our, our, our dining hall. I was so excited. Mm-hmm. And other Asian got the kimchi too. And then there's some kids that are trying to be mean. They're like, oh, what is that? That smells so bad. Oh my God, it's so garlicky. And they're kind of like, like getting like, I don't know, like they're like, it, the way they- Yeah, act, just teasing you. Yeah, like yeah. It, it's, not, it's not out of like a curiosity in a place. Right. So, yeah. so I definitely feel that was like a shock to me because in China, like if- if say like a foreign students come to China and we would like to like, we will be more curious to ask what they eat instead of like coming from a place of judging them. Yeah. Of aggression. Yeah. So even we don't like it, we, the worst case is that we don't say anything or we don't comment. Uh, That's how our, like culturally, that's how we are taught to show respect. So I guess like culturally it's very different and I definitely understand like the struggles and the, the tension in America and in a politically setting um, within those two years. I feel those are like two years of a crash course um, of like living in America in the middle actually. Um, right. Because for those kids that they study abroad in say like New York or they 
first landed in California, they wouldn't necessarily experience what I have experienced. Of course. No, yeah. I get that. And, and you know, you know what I find so interesting that, yeah, I mean, you were, you were used, you had this definition of, of, of what normal was because of how your life was for 17 years in China. And then you moved to another country, assuming that your behavior, your ideas, your accent, your, the way you look is normal. And you go into a place where somehow who you are, what you are, isn't normal at all. And you get treated differently. Your viewpoints on things might change. So did, did that transition affect your confidence the way you looked at yourself uh, or any part of, of your self-esteem at all? Or were you always this guy that even though everything was going on and you were facing new situations and new people, uh, you still were very solid and assertive in who you were as a person? Um, I, th- I, think, I think this is a really extremely good question. So I, I was discussing with this with my friend the other day. I think um, luckily, I grew up in a place that's very accepting me. Like that's especially from my family, they accepting who I am, and like, um, and then there's no level of like um, people mistreating me because of my race or my accent. Right. Um, so, like, the confidence level actually was built while I was growing up in China. So there's no like a moment when I was kind of like oh questioning me or anything. But when when it comes to like when it, when it comes to like those things, um, when I was in Indiana, so I guess it's very different for kids who were traumatized in here and, and then kind of like their confidence was like- Yeah, always all vulnerable emotionally. Yeah, like, like they might have developed like slight whatever, like PTSD or something, right? Um, but like, I was like, I think I was extremely lucky that I can experience both. And then the confidence part is actually the majority of my life back then. So when, when, when those unfair judgment and unfair treatment was like thrown at me, um, I I might do like a self-reflect and check if I actually did something wrong. If no, then I don't feel the need to kind of correct myself or kind of like change myself or anything because those statements- yeah, like those statements are not true um, back then. When I even when I look at it, I was like, yeah, those statements are not true. Then I don't have to, you know, um, actually change who I am. So, yeah, I was extremely lucky. But I also noticed. I remember there was one time. It's very interesting. So the the my friend he actually grew up in Indiana. He's Asian American, um, but. Um, his family are immigrants from China. So they came here realizing their American dream and everything. They work extremely hard. Um, and there was one time a kid from our school asked him, where are you from? And he said, oh, I'm from here. I was born in Indiana and blah, blah, blah. And he said, no, you're not from here. Where are your parents from? And all of a sudden he felt so like embarrassed because like probably he got this microaggression or this question a lot, especially growing up in, in Indiana. Right. So I, I can definitely sense like the difference because when people ask me where I am from, I, I don't feel the need to assimilate or I don't feel the need to say like, oh, I, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I grew up here and blah, blah, blah. Because like for him, he, has, he probably has no social association of what China looks like because he's never like actually grew up in there. And he grew up in a country where he should feel belong to. And people here actually don't accept who he is. Mm-hmm. And I find that is very traumatizing for a kid um, to grow. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Especially, I mean, it's, and this is, this is where it gets very, very complicated, but it is a very important conversations because not a lot of people 
are lucky enough. And, and I can relate what you're saying because I, I, I went to very similar experiences. I'm Mexican. I was born in Mexico, raised in Mexico. Uh, mm-hmm. Mexicans are also highly discriminated in, in the U.S. And I also come from a good family for in the sense that they were always super, super supportive. Uh, I always had a lot of confidence in myself and my belief in my ideas when I was out, like from a, from a personal perspective. But it's very easy to understand because most of the people that you meet don't have that. You know, they come yeah. from from less lucky or less fortunate backgrounds from a family perspective. And, you know, they get put into this, this different environment when they go to fashion school, when they go to art school and everything's a shock to them because it's again, new ideals. And then they start doubting themselves is everything that I've believed in so far wrong. Am I actually wrong? Am I actually what society thinks or says that I am? And a lot of people go through that experience and they could be either people that were grown in that country, but I think specifically people that are brand new to a new culture because if you were born and raised in America as an Asian American or Mexican American or Latino American or whatever, you find your place within the subcultures. You might be there. There might be discrimination. There might be this. There might be that. But there's a group that you can relate with. You know, the other Latin Americans that were born in America, the other Asian Americans that were born in America. And you have that to fall back into. But if, on the other hand, you're a guy from China, you're a guy from Mexico, you're a guy from Colombia that's never had any immersion with that culture or subcultures within those countries. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, you're, you're, you go to New York, and New York's not, New York's a red exception because they're pretty open in New York. But let's say you go to Texas, like where I went, and somehow you're being discriminated, you're being bullied, you're being judged, then that could have a massive, massive effect on, on, on your confidence and your ability to be assertive in you know, decisions in life that might actually matter. Because you never know if, if you weren't prepared emotionally to land in America, maybe you wouldn't have been assertive in how you progress your career. And, you know, maybe going into engineering school and saying, you know what, whatever, I'm going to pursue uh, Parsons because that's who I am, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think a lot of people listening to this podcast might be in very similar situations. So it's mm-hmm. very important to understand, again, realize that it's normal, realize that it might be a problem, but again, use people and use stories like yours to understand what they should do yeah i hope that will help and also i feel that like like sometimes i would envision what if i have kids that look like me in the future and um grew up in america like if i send him to the school then if i put myself into his shoes i feel like the last thing i want to be is to be different and then i but then like time fast forward in 20 or 30 years I feel that the kid will actually appreciate his difference in 20 to 30 years when he actually grow, um, grows up. Because like, like, I don't know, like even like as parents from a parent's perspective, if I were ever telling my kids in the future to like, oh, you know, you should embrace your culture. Kids don't understand that. They just want to, they just don't want to be bullied and be the one who's different eating different food and everything. So I just feel that that, that is like a dilemma for most of like immigrants' family. Um, because they definitely have cher- they definitely cherish their culture, which is valuable um, for for their family and for their individuality. But then there's also this like the dilemma that the kids kind of like rejecting um, the culture at the first place because they want to assimilate, and later on they might regret in twenty to thirty years because like they might find it hard to pick up the language, or they might find it hard to reassociating with the family roots and the cultural side. So. Mm-hmm. That's just something that I feel that like living in America as people of color sometimes is very challenging. Right. Awesome. Yeah. 
Now to transition to, because I do want to talk about your work, obviously,、mm-hmm. uh, but to transition to that before we get to that part of 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 the podcast episode, I do want to ask you from a creative perspective.、Uh, What do you see the benefits are of a society、uh, that's fabricated like the West is? You know, socially,、uh, politically. What are the pros and cons from a, as a creator to be developing yourself in that environment? And what are the pros and cons of being in the exact same situation but in a country like China, or that's more uh, uh, has more Confucianism based on based ideologies or? or, or Like relating, like creative wise, or yeah, create, 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 creative wise. I think like for me, like I've never actually attending attended any、um, art school in China, so I cannot speak from that perspective. We do have art classes, which I definitely enjoyed since I was a kid.、Um, those art classes were my favorite, and、um, the first art training that I had is Parsons in America.、Um, And as a Chinese artist, that I feel that、um, I definitely appreciate my cultural value. I feel that when when we like find our work, I feel like China has a very rich history and like culture, and a lot of like things have been like entrenched in our our ideas. And there are a lot of like philosophies and values that we cherish as as Chinese. So when we are creating, they're just like unlimited source of inspiration. Um, and which, like, I would say that as as a Chinese artist, this is a very privileged situation when your country has a rich history and culture that you can always draw inspiration from, and you always see things very differently from 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 other countries or from like kids who are from different parts of the world, right? Because like、um, these like these histories are not something that. You can be you can learn from the class. It's it's sometimes like passed down generations after generations. Right.、Um, and I remember there are still like some like vases from my my grandma and my grandma said, oh, that's the the things from like her like previous generations, and all of these these things and little moments make me feel so privileged as someone like culturally and like actually to have like unlimited inspirations to create. And I think culture is so important、um, as an artist、um, because it came from your vision, it came from your individuality,、mm-hmm. and our art is trying to be the bridge to communicate with people who are not in that culture and want to understand.、Mm-hmm. Um, and also, like there are a lot of like misunderstanding when it comes to like the West, how West look at the Chinese art, or when it comes to Chinese art, they always think about dragon, they always think about phoenix, and think about like. Read to think about these like very stereotypical way of looking at Chinese art、um, and chi- Chinese history and culture,、um, and I would say like when I create, I think what's beautiful about about、uh, Chinese culture is that it's very accepting.、Um, so anything could be Chinese art. Anything like the door is open wide for people to create, and、um, so I think like for for us, especially the new generation Chinese artists.、Uh, That the creation, like I think, we are trying to revert the stereotypes that people, when people look at the Chinese art, they always think about color red or color, I don't know, like、um, dragon and all those kind of stereotypical images. I think now contemporary Chinese artists and designers they're reverting that they're creating something that's more open and it might feel Chinese but not stereotypically, right? Stereotypical way, and also it can be seen from my work as well. So like I don't know, like when people see. 
my work, they feel, first of all, my personality, and they can see some elements that, oh, this artist is probably from somewhere in Asia or- Fluidity. Yeah, like, it's it's very, like, it's very open. It's not, like, come to, like, a very literal pattern or come to a very literal explanation. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 it did 100%. I did, it did 100%. Uh, I do want to ask you also that that question in a different manner. Uh, because I personally find this very, very interesting, especially now. Um, I mean, the U.S. has a lot of, you know, politically, social, I don't want to say problems, but there's a lot of dissonance in in culture today. Uh, And from a creative perspective, I keep seeing more and more incredible talent coming from Asia. Like it's very palpable, the amount of talent that's coming from Asia. Yet, a lot of people, even though the U.S. has all these social, um, political issues and conflicts between each other, artists that already have the talent in their own countries, in their own cultures, still want to come to America or to London, to the Central St. Martins, to the UALs, to the Parsons. Uh, again, even though the talent is something that they already have where they come from. So why do you think people still have this almost need to experience the West. Mm. I wouldn't say the need to experience the West because usually when, cause I or, came or the, back, the, 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 the curiosity to continuously do so. Yeah. So I, I think that is not the intentions of why we come to West to study. Yeah. I actually went to Parsons and also went to Central St. Martin. So I can speak from my personal experience. Actually, when I was in school, people encouraged us to be ourselves actually that when we are, especially when kids are from different cultural backgrounds, say if you're, if your family um, have, have, have like, you know, like Mexican um, blood, and then you're relating to Mexican art, then you're definitely encouraged to look back at your family history and then your, your cultural background. So for us that we come here, not to, not only for experience, I think experience is part of it, but the intention is to express ourselves to um, because like New York and London, you're, talking about these two places, right? So like St. Joseph Martins is located in London and Parsons located in New York. So from my personal experience, these two places are not just predominantly like, oh, these are Americans, these are from- No, 100% no, it's, it's right? actually so, the opposite. Yeah, so it's like a multi, um, multi-faceted environment. And you know, there are a lot of people and talents from different parts of the world. And as an artist, that's a great way to to communicate and to exchange ideas, right? You wouldn't do that in Indiana or you wouldn't do that in anywhere else. Um, so I guess the special, the location play, a hu- the locations play a huge role. And now um, recent years, I start to see that a lot of artists would like to study art and fashion in Shanghai and th- these like metropolitan, like big cities in China, international cities. And, and then those like, uh, famous, like, I mean, those art schools are trying to set a branch in China, like in, say, say, like in Hong Kong or like in Shanghai, they will all have their um, location or their a different branch because essentially art is something that we need to, art is in language, right? We need to um, create, to communicate. That's the language for artists. And to communicate, we, we want to communicate not just uh, to our own people, we want to communicate to the world. So I think that is the um, way to look at it. Um, to answer a question, uh, is it a need or is it a curious to explore the West? Actually, from the Chinese history, that like the curiosity to the West is like 
like it's really funny that like a long time ago, probably in Qing Dynasty, that like you know the Chinese government thought, oh, there's no interest in the West, so that's why they decided to close the border so no one can come into China, and we like people are now no longer interested in the West. So I guess like now it's very different perspective because the globalization, the exchange of information is so like fast, and then we wanted to like communicate whenever we are and then like wherever we are like especially in these like big cities so i think that is the intentions to um to come to the west and now to experience like different parts of the world yeah. instead of like experience solely on the west cultures yeah, yeah no i get it i get it and, and the reason why i asked that question is because i feel that it's increasingly more productive to be surrounded by completely different cultures and political ideas and social perspectives uh, if you want to get, develop yourself creatively, uh, I find myself asking that question as somebody that has been always influenced by, you know, the Western philosophy, the Western ideologies. Uh, I continuously get more curious to experience a more collective political and social narrative going to the Asia's, going to the Singapore's, the China's and understand and experience that different philosophical uh, or I mean, different cultures entirely. Because from a, I think that from a creative perspective, to have both areas completely understood and internalized, the the importance of individualism as a creative to understand your new ideas, to have value in what you believe, but also understand that there's a collective behind the individual can be very very productive to create incredible brands. Because at the end of the day, your duty as an artist is to communicate that that. Again, the, the balance between those two, the, the creativity driven by individualism, yet the community is driven by collectiveness. Mm. No? Yeah, yeah and, it's, and it, it was an idea that, I, that I've, been, I've been sort of pondering on for the last couple of months. So that's why I wanted to ask you that specifically. Yeah, I feel like collective, I don't, I don't know, like now, especially now everything is transferred to online. Mm -hmm. So I just feel like it's definitely like a challenge, but also I feel that that might be a great opportunity to re-examine the system of like how we actually communicate. Right. So um, I think for artists, it's definitely a challenge, but I also feel that's definitely like an opportunity as well. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Terrence. Now uh, to talk about your, uh, by the way, how long do I have you for? Um, I think we were good in time. Yeah, that's, oh, that's okay, fine. cool. Just let me know because I can, I can talk for hours. So whenever <laughs> you're like, dude, I, I have to be, yeah, I really enjoy the conversation. This. So, so whenever. Um, Thanks man. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Well, actually I do want to get to talk about your work. Yeah, sure. Because uh, yeah. I, I find, I, again, I find your background so interesting. I think contrast is the best ingredient for creativity because uh, mm -hmm. it, it, and you've had that in, in, in all senses, culturally, professionally, intellectually. So when you first started developing yourself as an artist, like, like properly, I don't want to say properly developing yourself as an artist, but when you started like consciously developing yourself creatively and finding your sense of identity, what was the first thing that you leveraged was it the fact that you came from an engineering background that you could bring something very rational to something very irrational was it the fact that was it your cultural um background was it your i don't know what was the first idea principle in your life that you were trying to communicate when you were developing yourself creatively I think it's the idea of self. The concept of self is something that, that I always get inspired on. I know it sounds kind of weird that my inspiration is myself, 
but like hey going back to individualism and collectivism um so like um for me uh, to answer your question um for me the engineering and mathematics part is rational um it's it's almost like a system of how i see the world like how i how i deal with the world how i cope with the world right it's like a, a mathematic thought and system like irrational like how it's very rational how it transferred to my creative process is mostly for problem solving so when i create like i have struggles i have difficulties of realizing certain shapes and i would think about like what's the most efficient and cost effective way um to realize these things um uh, in a manner so i feel that these logical thoughts and processes are really really beneficial directly inspired from the experience of studying mathematics and engineering mm-hmm. um, but then like after i build that system i kind of like leverage a system to my creative process but then i feel that the creative process is more of like looking inward right so you get inspirations from the outside that's the feedback you get from the outside but then you kind of like, internalize whatever emotions whatever um your memories um, and those things, even though it might happen, might not happen directly on you, but those things are kind of like internalized and th- those are part of your perspective to see the world. So when I actually look inward, that's how I get inspired to do things. Um, Cause I found, oh, maybe uh, how I see certain things is different from people around me. Maybe I was interested or triggered in a conversation with my friends or with people around me. And then they have very different perspective and then how I express the, the idea, uh, maybe exaggerated or, you know, manipulated in a way so I can like put it out there and people can feel the emotions and how I feel the emotions, right? So it's more like a empathetic way of looking at it that I feel a certain way and I want people to feel that way. However, to feel that way, you have to understand your own emotions and your what's going on. Um, and then it's like a loop of like information coming from outside and you're looking inward and then you send it out. So that is my um, most of how I how my inspiration comes from. And, and lastly, I feel that um, also my personal experience helped that too. When you say tension, when you say like contrast, um, my garments actually, besides it has, um, besides the fact that it has voluminous shape, um, it also has the movement when, I don't know if you see some of my reels on social media, that when the garments or dresses are moving, they're actually very bouncy. So it has to do with me of being a dancer since I was a kid, and I've been training for many, many years, I'm still doing it, um, that the movement and attention to the floor with our body is so important to me that I could not ignore or be oblivious oblivious about um, the feeling of like the tension uh, when my body is trying to you know pushing the floor and with my partner and all these like connections right so with that feeling i want to i want my audience to feel that um with my artwork and how i will you know um express my emotions and i look for inspirations of like gravity or like attraction of like different planets and you know um, and I watch like move sci-fi movies and all that. They're in different subjects, dancing and sci-fi, but then they express the same feeling, the tension, the weight, you know, the connection. So I feel that the, the, my creative process is actually like when, when it comes to like looking for inspiration part, it's actually starting from feeling and then it became like really vast uh, area for me to look for inspiration and connect the thoughts with something totally not even related. But when I explain it, it makes a perfect sense. So that's kind of the process that I was in.
No, I get it. And I mean, developing yourself creatively and developing yourself personally are very, very correlated. Uh, that's why there really isn't an end to the entire process for most people. I mean, a lot of people are, well, not a lot of people. I think the minority are highly, highly rational and calculated, even in the creative process. There's definitely people that are like, like that. Creative processes tend to be a lot more intuitive. And I think, yes, a lot of people tend to look inwards in order to understand what they want to communicate outwards. And because that development process never ends, you learn more things, you realize more things about yourself that you can communicate creatively. It's a never ending process that again, slowly but surely you start connecting the dots and there's, then there's more, more, uh, more connectivity to all of it. And something very interesting that I find about your work is yes, as you said, for me, the biggest thing was just fluidity. Uh, mm -hmm. There was just a lot of a fluid movement and yes, sub subjectivity to end that movement. And when you were talking about, and this might be something that, you know, might be interesting from your perspective uh, that, you know, for me, Asian art, Asian expressionism has always been extremely fluid. When you think about the dragon, you know, the, the typical idea of the, the Chinese dragon in, in fireworks or in the painting, there's curves. There's always the idea of the dragon moving and coming. And that, that is very predominant in Asian sort of artistic. And that is sort of the biggest subconscious correlation that I have with your work that really, really got my attention was this ability to sort of communicate that, that fluidity and movement with everything. But now that I've understood your background and where you come from, I think, I think it's a lot more clear. Yeah. To add on the flu flu fluidity part, I feel that concept is very, very uh, uh, different from what I envisioned. And and um, and I also find it very interesting to discuss a little bit more because I feel that like for me, fluidity doesn't necessarily um, refer to one thing of like movement. It of course, also, you have it in, in who did you design as well. You've got yeah, guys, yeah. you got girls. Like it's, it's that ability to again not only movement but full, full yeah, exactly. of sense yeah. of self of of, of yeah. physical movement but also of, on idea of ideological of philosophical ideas as well. Yeah, I agree. And then, like sometimes, like I feel that, like for for us, like being uh, flexible or fluid in Chinese culture is seen as the highest highest virtue. And I think that might have to do with that as well. Um, that I know that when we grow up, we we might have a lot of rules. Um, like for example, my teacher questioned my artwork and everything. But then at the same time, we see being fluid and flexible in a society is the highest virtue. So we respect the water energy. Um, the water, we, we always see the water is like, if you put the water into any shape, the water can be any shape, right? So I feel that that is something philosophically that as a Chinese artist, it's always like uh, embedded in my mind and my heart. So when I try to create, I feel that even my intentions were not, was not trying to um, be fluid, but the fluid, fluidity, fluid, I don't know if I pronounced the word correctly, but fluid is, is something that my audience can feel immediately when they see my work. And this for me is a huge success. Um, so yeah, so I just want to add upon a little bit idea on, on that. No, awesome. And, and, and by the way, the work work is gonna, definitely going to be in the description. I always encourage people in the interest to look at people's work before they actually start looking at the episode so they can truly appreciate everything that we're talking about. Sure. Uh, now, also something else, and people hate this question, but I think it's such a valuable question to ask, ask artists. Uh, what do you think people like about your work? Mm, what do I think people like about I think definitely being authentic is one. Um, or, or what are they drawn? What 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 makes people get drawn towards your work in the way they did in the way that they do? I'm I'm not so sure if 
a lot of people like my work. I mean, they definitely responded. They definitely responded. I get like likes on social media. Maybe that's、uh, validation. But like being liked is never my goal on like what I create. First of all, and also I feel that what might draw them to my work is the authenticity.、Um, When when I when I do my photo shoot, a lot of times my question, like my interns would question me that, hey, like why you don't want to like do a professional full on photo shoot, and why do you release your work every day when you like say when you when you're working on a new piece immediately when you finish you would like to post on social media like like won't you want to like wait a a day or a week or a month to kind of like build the hype and then release it? I said no. Like let's just be authentic. Like why、right, there should be a lot lot of rules for us when to post. It's my social media. It's my my page. Like why、um, my intention is to connect with the audience. And my actually my my audience might feel that way. Like might feel that like oh this artist although his work might look inaccessible because of the shape, his personality is very accessible and very authentic. I think that authenticity and honesty are transferred to my audience, and 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 they feel the energy. So I guess like that's why they are drawn to my work because there might I might sometimes like have very、uh, humorous moments, hilarious moments on my social media, and then they were entertained. And sometimes I share my stories and like my struggles and my my lessons, and they they can also appreciate because I'm sharing something so vulnerable. Um, I guess as an artist, it's not just about work itself. It's also about the artist himself or herself as a person, and how we can get connected on、um, on the grid,、um, yeah. on social media. And I think that's that's the most important way of looking at it. Because now I think art and design are the systems are facing a huge、um, revolution, and the people the way that people exchanging information. Would be so different than twenty to thirty years ago, right?、Yeah. Mo- mostly that we Instagram and all these social media and apps become part of our lives, and how we take advantage of that to give a fuller or more multifaceted image of this who the artist is and who, like what the artwork, trying to express. I think that's that's something that's most important to、um, what what I create. So. So definitely to answer your question, that's definitely the authenticity and the honesty. Love it. Yeah, yeah. So the、uh, because I mean your work superficially, I mean if if you go and you look at your, what you do, it like it comes across as couture. Like that's what it does,、yeah. you know. And and I I get into exactly what you mean. The 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 value is in it has you know the the dreamy qualities, the aspirational qualities of couture, the unreachable qualities of couture, but. Relating it to people that maybe could not afford it, or might think that philosophically couture might be too、uh, too high and above their own philosophical ideas or persona, right? So I get what you mean. And the reason why I always try to ask that question is because it is it is something that artists hate in terms of trying to understand what people really like about them. Because at the end of the day, it's all about successfully communicating something. But everybody 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 communicates something. Like any good artist is going to successfully communicate something different. You know,、mm-hmm. in your case, it's specifically that that people enjoy, that people can relate with, because at the end of the day, fashion art in general is about having two things: is about having that authenticity behind what you're creating, communicating who you are and what you want to communicate efficiently, but also it having an effect on other people. You know, because you need that connection for it to be for it to be, and this is subjective, of course, but for it to be something. 
that is worthwhile, something that's worthwhile creating, you know, creating something and being able to sit down with somebody that's going to buy your dress and having so many things in common with them that they're not only could be customers or clients, but also friends. And everybody yeah. goes through that process differently. Yeah. It, it's it, like to add on that point, um, recently, like there are a couple of, uh, clients that DM me because they purchased my dress before they're like, they wore the uh, dress to a, a home party and they're like, Oh my God, this dress is so fun. And I feel that that's very good feedback for me because uh, I'm such a fun person. <laughs> like I, I like, I like, I like to be, I, you know, I, I like to be like someone who's like uh, in the party and trying to entertain everybody. And I feel that that personality has been transferred to my work. And now my, my clients are feeling it. And it's not just one client and most of clients are replying to me be like, Oh my God, your dress is hilarious. Like it's so fun to wear. It, it has its own movement. when I dance, like I don't have to, uh, you know, shake my body anymore. And I feel those feedbacks are rarely seen in fashion works because when people buy a dress uh, from a brand, they usually be like, Oh, this is beautiful. And this is nice and nicely made, blah, blah, blah. But then a dress being so fun, it feels like my work has its own personality now. Like it's, it's a person that they, they're wearing the personality on the outside and helps them like, you know, um, boost the confidence, whatever. And then also at the same time, the dress itself is like its own, like entertaining the, the wearer at the same time. So every time when I think about this moment, it means a lot to me of how poetic, um, th like this authenticity has been transformed, you know? And sometimes I feel the whole process is very much uh, like you said, fluid, it doesn't have any mechanism to like, oh, I need to be authentic this way. And then I need to express my personality that way. Um, everything is transitioned very smoothly um, from the point A to point B, from my sewing table to, um, you know, to, to my customer's hands. So yeah, to think, their personality, to their gender, to their ideological philosophical. Yeah. Like, yeah. And then sometimes I feel, sometimes I feel energy is such a interesting thing because like um you have the intentions out there and then people feel that way you feel like oh my god bang that's like clicking and um yeah so that's something that i just want to add upon on your um previous comment oh awesome and now to to something maybe a little bit more difficult maybe you went through a, 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 an experience like this but again from a creative perspective what has been your biggest challenge your biggest roadblock mm. I like this question, like creatively or creatively first, we'll get into the, into the other ones. So I feel that like, um, creatively sometimes that I feel, um, it's not directly related to creation because when I create, I'm in a zone of like, I don't know if you heard about the word flow, like, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. that I kind of forget time and forget about self, forget about my surroundings and. I forgot to pee, I forgot to eat, and I forgot to sleep. And then all I wanna do is just focus on create. Um, so when I create, I necessarily don't have that struggle. It's, it's actually when, when, when I, I mean, I personally define the struggle as anxiety or as something that the emotions that we feel very suffocating. When that happens, it's usually I'm not present when I'm not creating. And when I think either too far ahead or when I regret about decision I made in the past. So that is a struggle to me, especially now in social media, we will see a lot of amazing, incredible artists and designers. And um, 
like sometimes we're oh I like it because it keeps me motivated um, to look at their work and then like uh, and sometimes we might even compare ourselves to but eventually like these process will make me feel very suffocating so my friend suggested me um, like a year ago like to get off my phone for a while and I definitely appreciate that advice um, because the last time we spend on our phone and kind of like um, looking at what others doing it's kind of like interfere our true intentions for ourselves. And as long as I'm, I know what I'm doing, then I feel like very much in the flow state and the urge to create and everything, right? Mm -hmm. So I guess like the struggle is how to find the balance that, that we always like look inward and kind of like um, make peace with ourselves and, and then trying to like, you know, create more and like um, in the flow state, so um, without distraction, I guess distraction is something from 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 the out, outer perspective that kind of like make me feel sometimes struggle. Mm -hmm. So I guess to answer a question is maybe like, you know, like overcoming the distraction, how I'm understanding true intentions. Like I always have to find the balance. Mm -hmm. Right. So it, it's pretty much a productivity problem based on, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. Okay. No, I get it. Uh, which is, I mean, it's more complicated than that. I mean, productivity based on, you know, letting external factors affect the ex the spiritual experience that is creating for you, which eventually exactly. is. Yeah. Exactly. Now, like it's, it's even difficult. It's even more difficult than before because we all spend our time online, either on the Zoom or on a way to go to Zoom meeting, right? And then we after Zoom, we might scroll on social media and people DM instead of texting anymore. Like we text like sometimes, but mostly like even sometimes work related things happen on DM because it's faster mm -hmm. and it's, it's inevitable to be on the social media and to look at other things. And, and I recently found that like scrolling on social media become more like a habit, not because I want to check out what others are doing, what my friends are doing, but then the, the movement of like scrolling on my phone becomes like a habit, which is, which is very scary. Um, so, um, I guess that's something that, um, I need to be more aware of. Yeah, no, I get it. And, and I mean, that's a good problem to have though, you know, productivity <laughs> problems is the creative or the, probably the least problems that you should be worried about, which is a good thing. I think that a lot of people usually struggle with something more emotional, you know, maybe they lose themselves in the process. They start, they start having maybe emotional problems. They start having identity crisis on who they are as artists or creators or people, you know, a lot of different things that I think that you didn't have to go through because of, again, the, the solid, uh, environment of support that you've always had, which is awesome because it brings a new, it brings also a new perspective to what the work actually involves. It's not only about, you know, the, 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 the being confident with the work with feeling good with yourself in order to create good things, but also about, you know, something that's as simple and easy as, Hey, you know what, my environment, how I am and how I feel spiritually and personally dictates my ability to be persistent and disciplined with my work. And if I don't have that, then I cannot continuously create. You know, yeah. So I think it's a real, de definitely a, a, an interesting insight. I feel that like um, when um, I feel like when people sometimes like feel certain, I, I can I can relate when when I just had the idea in my first year about transferring because I was not so sure back then, um, especially when I just had the idea and and then I was not sure because I was rejected once and then I don't want to you know risk again. Yeah, just creative um, insecurity. Yeah, I, I feel I feel there de there were definitely insecurities back then, and they're like, um, but then like 
these things are more like I like that's that's something that I really like about sci-fi movies and all these like they talk about universe they talk about like black hole theories and everything when you put my like I, how I overcome that thing is that I put myself in a whole spectrum of the universe of like I look at how vast of these like amazing planets are and then like I just feel like I'm so minimal and I feel like my lifetime is like short I just need to you know like try to experience as much as I can and I was thinking oh you know I definitely had the question of like age coming up oh if I transfer if I started over maybe I'm two years older than most two or three years older than most of the kids um, but then I'm thinking well I mean I have a whole life and I have like at least 10 to 20 years to make the mistakes and when I kind of like allow myself to experience to become to actually make as many mistakes as possible when I give that allowance I feel a lot of anxiety kind of disappear but also I feel people kind of feel emotional in very different ways I can only speak for like the last time that I felt the insecurities in that way so yeah so I just feel like a lot of times our brain could be our best friends or could be our enemy and we just don't know like which self that we put to deal with ourselves yeah so mm. yeah that's very interesting okay awesome Terrence and moving into sort of a different topic and direction which I'm also very interested in how you've approached this thus far uh, what about the business aspect of, of, of your fashion brand? Has that been a struggle for you at all? Because, uh, I mean, you do have a lot of, I mean, have, coming from an engineering background really helps a lot with business. So what's your experience been like when, from that aspect of the industry? Because a lot of people really are not prepared for it. So um, at the very beginning, um, I, I do feel very intimidated by the word business because we never actually um, systematically study it, you know, like um, I feel intimidated, I have fears and everything. But essentially when I'm doing it, uh, when I was doing it, I feel that it comes down to just like problem solve. And, uh, and then I, I used to have this mentality of like, oh, I need to prepare uh, everything before I hop on a business. Um, I need to understand definitions and PL sheets yeah, exactly. and then MBA, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I need to understand how the supply chain works. I need yeah. to understand how to communicate with the factory. Oh my God, I need to uh, understand um, inventory and yeah, like how to talk to investors or like you know all these like things that I feel unfamiliar. And I then recognize a pattern, which kind of like for me, it's a like a waking point is that a lot of things are not just either zero percent or a hundred percent. And then when I kind of like aim for the perfection of understanding everything, which is impossible for everyone, um, then I kind of was set up for failure because nothing is 100%, right? Extremity is not virtuous. And 100% is just like such an ideal place, but it's really hard and difficult to attain. And it creates a lot of unnecessary stress. So I then kind of like thinking, oh, if, because, you know, study, math there's one like the first principle for myself is like simplify the complicated problems so how i simplify the business problems like i just need to write down the steps of like say registering a company and then trademarks and everything once these are solved then think about marketing like one step ahead of each time so like then i start to reach out to the right people seeking for help because i kind of admit that i'm not a perfect 
um, like a businessman or like you know creative person that understand business at the same time that I do need help. I I do have these vulnerabilities and everything, so I do need professional help and everything. So I started reaching out to my business friends who have the expertise that I can consult with, and lawyers and um, those um, those experts in their field to kind of like collaborate or to kind of like ask for uh, their suggestions. And mentors and all that. So I feel that like once I kind of forget or kind of ignore the hundred percent perfectionist idea, like the business is just a way of implementing my creative ideas, like step by step. It creates a framework and foundation. And then when it comes to a problem, then I just need to find a way to solve the problem. Mm-hmm. But the first thing that I need to remember and maybe. Um, to all the people that want to start a business or something, it's like we have to believe we have to have the belief that we're able to solve the problem somehow, right? Mm-hmm. If we don't believe in ourselves, then when a problem comes, then we are like probably just freeze, and we couldn't do anything. And not to even mention that we reached out. Mm-hmm. So I guess like it also comes down to like like believing ourselves in a way, because I feel that like our brain could be our best friend. That they will look for solutions by themselves if we truly believe in it. Mm-hmm. No, I'm with you 100. I think I think that is exactly right. I think that, uh, and this coming, I have more of a of a business background, so I can I can understand this also quite quite well. I think creative people, and you're right. I think people creative people have a natural and generalizing, of course, have a natural weakness for business because business isn't. It's a mindset. It's a way of thinking. It's a way of solving problems. It's a way of behaving, and sometimes it's the complete opposite to what's productive in order to create something incredible. You know, and when yeah. you're starting a fashion brand, you have to balance two completely different things. Not only from a technical perspective, but from an emotional perspective. One is a lot more rational. It has different productive principles. Focus is more important. Uh, closure and then you got something that we're like creativity where openness is very productive uh maybe chaos and uncertainty and unpredictability which from a business perspective is is not productive usually so it's it's balancing both two things and people think that developing yourself in that way is about again understanding things from a pragmatic sense like learning definitions having an mba but i think the easiest way to look at it is to look at it as you know, as you'd approach your creative process, you go out there, you have an idea, you have a, a very simple thing of what you should do, a very specific fabric first, then a very specific design or, or detail that you want to create. And then you go one step at a time. And if it doesn't work, you chug it out and you repeat the entire process. And business works in the exact same way. It's yeah. what's next? How do I get there? How do I problem solve? And if I fail that, how do I try to fix it the next, the next time I try it? Just like building a dress. Yeah. yeah, I agree. I agree, and I think this is extremely important because we are we're we we are in a capitalistic system, and we are so afraid of making mistakes and pay the cost. And I guess that's like what's kind of like also working against us. And um, and when we are young, and I guess like we have more comparative advantage of making more mistakes, and you know to learn from. And as we change the mindset of like learning from these things, like you said, if it's not working, then we change our path. Then I feel that the the stress kind of dissolves by itself, um, no matter for creative wise or business wise. Yeah, one hundred percent. Awesome. And what are what's the biggest business problem or mistake or challenge or again, um, 
Mm, I feel the biggest one is to, um, I guess the biggest challenge. So I just started in my commercial line. Right. So we, we necessarily don't have a lot of like, um, inventory and products and like inventory product. but I definitely feel like one of the challenge right now is definitely like communicating with uh, factories um, and then traveling is a big one because there are certain countries that have like you know quarantine for certain days and then there it's more like it's very realistic like when you can't be present a lot of things that you can probably even do it at all mm-hmm. um, and so I guess that's like the challenge that I face. And, um, you know, when a meeting happens in person, it definitely has a different vibe than having it online. Um, so I guess that's definitely the challenge because I canceled most of my traveling plan um, because of the Omicron and everything, trying to be responsible. So I guess that's the biggest challenge. We are, unfortunately, we're in this time of pandemia. So, um, yeah, that's... <laughs> something that we cannot control so i just like we just focus on what we can do as a small team and see what's the feedback the world has given to us awesome and what's been the hardest challenge you've had so far that's the one that you're having now but what's been the most difficult for you has it been pricing your product accordingly has it been hiring people has it been uh finally being as obsessive about the design process and and starting and start leaving designers or, or, or other people with responsibilities, what's been the most difficult part about it for you? I feel like the first thing that jumps into my mind is about just starting. It's hard. I feel the first, once I put my first foot on to the world, then I feel that the rest is just like gonna do it by itself. But when, but when starting, like starting the moment is kind of challenging. I had to do a lot of work. I, just launched my commercial line which i should launch like a year ago right so but then i did a lot of like mental preparation work for like of course i had fears i had i had anxiety and you know like um and i was like trying to kind of like convince my brain to accept it and kind of like learn along the way and then when the mindset is changed then i think the rest it will be easier Mm -hmm. um so I guess that's the most challenging part if just to start, like even at the very beginning, when I just graduated from our school um, and our show was canceled and we didn't have exp- exhibition. So everything was just so unclear and nobody actually knew what would happen in 2020. So um, back then I didn't know what to do. Um, I only had like one year visa for like after graduate because of the immigration policy and everything. So I just started, I was like, yeah, maybe like, just try it. Maybe I convinced myself, maybe I just, you know, start posting behind the scene photos or uh, post all these like work on my social media. Back then my social media had, had a very small following. So I didn't even expect it will have, people would follow me and kind of like, like my work and everything and drawn to my work at all. So like, I just started to like, put myself out there and start doing it. And then kind of like people start noticing me and then, we have more collaborations going on and then it kind of like, it's like a ripple effect. Right. Then the starting point is absolutely the most, I would say the darkest time um, and most challenging one. I agree. I agree hundred percent. I mean, it's, it's, 
And that's going back to what I said, business is an emotional process, a lot more than a rational process and more than, and it's, and it's counterintuitive to think that, but it really is, especially for highly, highly creative people. Uh, now from a financial perspective, because there's also a huge worry for a lot of people is how, like, how do I do this with no money? How did you approach finances? Did you always focus on just cut and sew model, model doing uh, commissions and just reinvesting the earnings and slowly doing it like that? Or did you get investment? uh, loans for friends or family? How did you approach from a financial perspective? So, um, I would say that I get a little bit of support from my family, uh, after I graduated because we're all in like the pandemic and my family mm -hmm. definitely understand that. Um, but the most importantly is that I noticed that people like to, uh, use my work a lot. And sometimes that there are like 20 to 30 stylists reaching out to me to pull those crazy pieces, but I only have like one piece. So I came up with like a system of like how to turn it like a, like a business, like a rental services. So because I only have one or two pieces. So I, for, for like say music shoot that for obviously they have a production budget, then I would like to charge them the rental budget. Then I start to save money along the way and then kind of like start making my um, commercial line. And for the commercial line that I make the sample in house with my interns all together, and then we started to have like photos and fun videos posted. Then it's more like a made to order. So when people purchase it and then we start like making it, usually it takes about like a week to ship out. And surprisingly, it has been really, really successful that um, people really like the, um, the lines that I make. And then um, that's the feedback they, they give me that it's so fun to wear my dress. So um, yeah, so that's why I feel like very appreciated that I kind of like find my own way to solve the problem yeah. but, but also like looking forward i feel that maybe getting investment in the future is an option because i definitely feel that there should be like a safety net um that i can fall back on and also like to how to expand my company exponentially yeah, dude. yeah if, if, if somebody asks you tomorrow hey can you make a hundred of these you're like oh yeah <laughs> you yeah know, exactly. was like, i was like what what's what is going on so, <laughs> so, so that that goes back to like the kind of a challenging part of like in pandemia, like how we can visit factories and how we can, you know, um, talk to them in person and yeah. we're not supposed to. So it's another problem solving. Yeah, no, hundred percent. Those are the most important principles. Awesome. And now to, to wrap this whole episode out, uh, I do want to ask you probably two last questions. Uh, sure. this next one is, uh, what event I think that every successful brand or creative project starts getting momentum, right? Eventually, if it's done right, if the creative vision is strong enough, if the DNA is unique, if you've got all of these different factors and, and, and principles right, you slowly start getting momentum. You start getting more bigger community. You start getting more attention in the press. Uh, and eventually, there's a big moment. Eventually. It can be five years in. It can be 10 years. It can be five months in. Depends. Everybody's different. But in your specific situation, so far, what have been those very, very important moments uh, for, your, for, your, for your brand's development? Has it been the Vogue cover in Portugal? Has it been a certain celebrity wearing your, your dresses? What, what, what do you think? What would you think that event has been for you? Mm. Or has it, has it not happened yet? Has it all been just slowly and consistent progress, but with, you know, I, I think it's definitely like slow progress, but I also want to add that the big moments for me usually is the moment when I feel the darkest, um, in a way that I feel that like, 
uh, kind of questioning myself and everything. Then I set the mindset of changing my mindset to like releasing the expectations to the result. Then um, I feel the big moments will come. So those are like, I remember my first cover, I forgot which one. Um, I remember it was like, I remember there were like three um, cover shoots back then and I really wanted to be part of it and they reached out. But then for some reasons, the FedEx got delayed because of the storm and then another shoot got canceled. And um, and then like, it's just like none of the shoots worked back then. And then I think I had like biggest cry at home. And I was wondering why the three shoots meant so important to me, right? And then I figure out maybe I want to be seen and heard. And then I want to be like expressing my perspective. And then I kind of like did a meditation and I had a thought of what if the three didn't work, three shoots didn't work. doesn't mean that I don't have an opportunity to express myself. And then it, there's a voice in me telling me that, no, like you can absolutely post what you feel, what you think on social media and your social media can reach to more people. Mm-hmm. And then it's the releasing part that releasing the result that we expected and kind of like switching the mindset to something that more healthy and kind of like then the big moments will come by itself. It seems like it has its own plan or something. And then I just have to do not grip too tight about the result and kind of like just keep my head down, be humble, just do do your thing, do my thing. And then the good thing will come. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree, and I think that that happens uh, again because once you get momentum, once everything gets rolling, I think the most productive thing to do is exactly that: just keep on doing your thing, and eventually opportunities will happen. It's not about chasing those opportunities. It's not about chasing the vote covers or the celebrity to wear something again. If you just focus on doing your thing and doing it as best as you can, and you keep at it, eventually those moments will happen. Sometimes they happen ten years because of probability. Sometimes they take five months. Sometimes they take two weeks. You know, you never know. Yeah. Each people's, I mean, each person's timing is so different. So, yeah. Awesome. Wow. Amazing, Terrence. That was an amazing conversation. And I think I'm going to leave it here because, I mean, I swear I could talk about these topics for, for ages, especially with people like yourself. So, uh, man, I, I can't, I can't, I can't really thank you enough for being in the episode today. It was an incredible, incredibly valuable episode. And, and truly, thanks. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for inviting me. I really enjoyed the conversation. And hopefully that, um, their audience will have something to take away and, you know, for more conversations, I, I would love to hear their feedback as well. Awesome. And don't forget to check out Terrence's work. Link is going to be in the description, guys. Thanks again, Terrence. All right. Thank you. If you want to learn even more about how you can start your own fashion brand, make sure you follow me on YouTube at Esteban Julian. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Future of Fashion Business. Make sure you subscribe to listen to our future episodes.